0: Greetings and welcome back to another an ongoing series of Shira and Daf Yomi. We are now in Masachat Sota, Daf Yod Aleph, Amud Aleph, near the top of the Amud, as we are going about to analyze the last Mishnah in the Parak, Vchein Linyan Tova which we saw in the context of the Mishnah bundled together on Daf Chet, Amud, and Daf Ter Amud Bet, <coughs> which mentioned Midah K'neg and Midah, both working as far as punishment goes, Shimshon Av, Shalom, etc. And now we 're seeing that also in uh, for the positive for a reward, and the beginning model is Miriam, who uh, will be the focus and the springboard for the discussion in this podcast. She'll take us through the bottom of Amud Bet. Miriam, etc. The problem is that the Mishnah equates the two and says just as Midah K'nege Midah works in kind for punishment, so it works in kind for reward. The question is Midami, they're not comparable. Hatam chadashata ha yomi. Miriam waited for one hour to watch her brother when he was in the basket, and Nam Yisrael waited for her seven days. So, so read the Mishnah not as that punishment is the same as sorry reward is the same as punishment, but rather reward is different than punishment. We've seen this already several times. Ravah says, but that's not what it says. It says that reward is the same as punishment in the same manner. This is how you should read. Meaning the Mishnah is trying to say that reward is also done in poetic justice. But there's another consideration, that is quantity. The nature of the reward is in kind for the good act, just as the nature of the punishment is in kind for the evil deed, but the amount of a reward is going to be far greater than the amount of a punishment. All right, and that's the case here. Miriam waited for one hour and so the uh the Amiswa waited a whole week. Now we're going to uh homiletically um, interpret the the key pasuk that we saw about that the sister waited there to watch and see what would happen to the baby. Every one of the words in this pasuk is an allusion to HaKadosh Baruch She stood. This is when Hashem appears to Shmuel for the first time. He stood there. His sister. In Mishlei, we are... Um, Assured that we should say to wisdom, "You are my sister." We should be as familiar with wisdom as a sister. Rachok from a distance. Hashem was seen to me from a distance. La again, she was looking from a distance to see, to know. In the beginning of Shmuel says, "God is the God of knowledge." Ma the phrase, the word ma. In the famous uh, speech of Moshe in Devarim, he says, What is it God asks of you but to fear him and to worship him, etc.? So the word ma, Did right? you want to see what will be done with him? Almost says, God will not do anything until he first tells his prophets. Lo, that last word lo, I lo Adonai Shalom. Which, by the way, is a problem of how you parse that that phrase in Shoftim when Gidon builds the altar uh, after Hashem appeared to him and Hashem and he was afraid he would die because Hashem appeared to him. Hashem said, "You won't die." He he builds an altar, and it says, "Vayikralo Adonai Shalom." Does that mean Gidon called the altar Hashem Shalom, or does it mean Vayikralo Hashem? Hashem called to Gidon and said Shalom, independent of what the altar was. And actually, there's a, that's a dispute between the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex of how to parse the Pasuk. Uh, the interested reader should look at the, uh, appropriate sources. In any case, uh, Lo is a reference to Akkadish Baruch Hu, uh, especially if read, uh, the first way. K'ra Lo, Adonai Shalom. That Gidon referred to it as the Hashem Shalom. Okay, so now we go back to the first chapter of Shemot. Vayakom Melachada al Mitzrayim. Back in first chapter, uh, verse, uh, 8. A new king arose, and uh, who did not know Yosef, and that's where the servitude begins. Ravu Mamash, one of Ravu Shmuel, we don't know which one, said he was really a new king. Not a new king, but new policies. So the opinion who says the really new king, it says, But the other opinion, a little difficult. How do you say that when the verse says a new king, that's not really a new king? Because it doesn't say that, that a king died and a new king came to power, as you see at the end of chapter 2 when it says the king of Egypt died. Now, Ashurloyah died Yosef, following in that same pasuk is that he did not know Yosef. Meaning, if you say it's a new king, fine. If it's a king who is the same king but new decrees, then, Tavidami commanded Loya pretended as if he didn't know who Yosef was. Parenthetically, this may coincide with uh, what we know historically: is that somewhere in the middle of the second millennium, there was somewhat of a revolution in Egypt against foreigners, uh, against the Hiskos, and perhaps that was the point at which Yosef's uh, family was disfavored. But we've that for another form. The next pasuk he says he speaks to his nation he says he says Am ben Yisrael Ravi atsumi menu Tana who itchil beitzat chilah again Mida keneged midah since he was the one who initiated the idea of uh, of subjugating Am Yisrael he was the first one to be punished who itchil beitzat chilah dichtiv malamot l'kat chilah where do we see he was punished first in the plague of frogs Moshe says you and your nation and all of your servants will suffer but you first What did Paro say in the next Pasuk and back in Shemot Aleph, Let's deal wisely with him. And notice, Paro should have said, let's deal wisely with them. So we say homiletically that Paro was saying, let's deal wisely with him, meaning whoever their potential savior is, let's deal wisely with him and let's cut him off uh, before he gets started. How do we judge them? So we make sure to extirpate whoever the the, uh, wannabe savior would be, should we try to burn them all? God judges with fire. Their God judges with fire. We cannot hope to uh, encounter him on his own grounds. Are we going to, uh, to kill them with the sword? Right? God also uh, is in control of the sword. Here's that idea. Let's go attack them with water. Parov was familiar not only with Sefer Bereshit, but with Sefer Yeshayahu. You have to look at the entire Pasuk. That's why the page is so important. The handout. You have to look at the entire Pasuk. Hashem has promised that he would never again flood the world, and therefore Hashem has like stepped away from using water, and therefore water is something we could use to hurt them. <laughs> what they didn't understand was HaKadosh like, promised not to flood the entire world, that doesn't mean he's not going to flood one nation. Uh, the other possibility is he won't bring a flood on them, but he'll entice them to come into the water, and that's exactly what happens. The Egyptians were running towards the water at Yamsuf when the water then collapsed on them, and that was the end of the army. That's why um uh, Yitro when he meets Moshe says, uh Hashem, his greatest of all gods, meaning <speaking> in <Hebrew> that in the same uh, pot that they tried to cook, they got cooked. Again, midah k'nege midah, they tried to hurt you with water, they got hurt with water. And then I see how great your God is, that he has such control over the world that he not only punishes those who attack, but he punishes them in a way that is a a, a powerful lesson. My mashma zadu now how do I know that the word zadu, which means that they acted in spite or in defiance, really means uh, cooking? Dichti Vayazid Yaakov nazid. When Yaakov is preparing the food, it says Vayazid Yaakov nazid. Now, lest the uh, onlookers say, but let's be honest; those are two very different words. Nazid is to cook, and mezid is intentional, and they happen to have the similar root, but they're not the same word. Actually, they are the same root, and they are the same word because lahazid means to cook, to seethe, and a person sins when they seethe over, and the food is seething over. So, there really is the same word. A very famous midrash that there were three advisors that Paro had: Bilam, Eov, and Yitro. Somehow Bilam gets to Egypt at this point. Eov, who we don't know when or where he lived, is a counselor to Paro, and Yitro, who is in the neighborhood at the time, is a counselor. Bilam shi'atz Bilam gave the etza that they should throw him in the water, and so he eventually was killed. Eov sheshatak. Eov said nothing. What happened? be serene. He ended up suffering terrible uh terrible afflictions that's the whole story of Eov. Yitro Shibarach Yitro ran away za khum ibn banav shiyashvu bizkat descendants ended up being members of the Sanhedrin Shinamar which bakhot sofrim yashvi ya'batst hier atatim shwatim hema hakinim hakinim ba'im mim bet in other words, these people are mentioned as Yoshevei Abates, who are the Sofrim, who are the members of the Sanhedrin, are HaKinim, who are from the Kini, who are the descendants of Yitro. The question is whether that's an accurate association, the way that the words are vocalized, but midrashically we associate Yitro's descendants as being members of the Sanhedrin, which is the schut, is that he would not participate in Paro's terrible etzah. Of course, nobody, none of the um, counselors here, Protests or says it's wrong. They either suggest it, they're silent, or they run away. Uh, this midrash has a, para- a real-life parallel in the story of Rabbi Judah, Rabbi Osir, Rabbi Shimon, and their um, discussions about uh, about the Romans. Uh, the possible benefits of being under Roman rule, Rabbi Yehuda says the Romans are great. Look at the great things they've done. Rabbi Yossi is silent, and Rabbi Shimon protests and says, "What are you talking about? They've done it to hurt us and to uh, to abuse us and to exploit us." And the Romans issued a decree that Yehuda, who praised, is elevated. Yosi, who was silent, is exiled, and Shimon, who who degraded us, uh, should be killed. And there, Rabbi Shimon runs to the cave, and that's the entire story in the second paragraph of Masachat Shabbat. Okay, picking up on that same pasuk that Paro says, let's deal wisely with them, lest there will be a war, and they join our enemies, and they fight against us, V'alamin Ha'aretz, V'alini it should say, we will leave the land, or they'll drive us out, that should be the concern. It's like a man who's cursing himself, saying this terrible thing happened to me. He doesn't want to say me, so he says him. He says it about somebody else. This was famously many of these things are famously quoted in Rashi's commentary on Chumash. So the next verse in Shmot Aleph is that they first put uh, taskmasters. "Sarim misim" really means labor tax uh, masters. Alehemi why is it Allah? It should be Alehem. They put them over them, not over him. What they did is they brought a, a, a working piece, and they put it on Paro's neck. Any Jew said, I can't work, I'm kind of uh, fragile. Are you any more fragile than Paro, our king? And look at him! So in other words, they first made Paro out to look like he was doing the work. And say, you can't claim that you can't work because even he can work. That's why it says low. Uh, sare what does that mean? Davashem Something that, that, uh, that puts you down. Laman lotam. Again, it should be anotam. So man anotobasivotam the Israel. Laman anoto, here they're reading not as oppression, but to respond. In order to respond to Paro's request by hurting Am Israel. Again, they're looking at the at the grammar as being ina, in exact, because it should be plural, where it's singular. Uh, they built storehouse cities for Paro. Why are they called the Because they're very dangerous. And they make the owners poor. Anybody who's involved in construction um, uh, suffers at least temporary financial hardships. At Pitom and Ramses, the two storehouse cities were called Pitom and Ramses, classic Egyptian names. Rabbi Shmuel Chaimer Pitom Shma and So they're playing on it, saying the real name. There was only one city. It's called Pitom, and they called it Ramses. Rishon Rishon Mitroses. Ramses, by the way, is an Egyptian word for son of Ra, rather than sun god um and uh, so he's he's the on says though the hebrew drush is rishon rishon mitros says the first everyone who steps in there falls and gets hurt and gets uh, crushed the other one said, no, the name is really Pitom, Why is it called Pitom? The first one who steps in is swallowed up by the Pitahom, by the mouth of the earth. In other words, they're both agreeing that anybody who got involved in this work would die. The work was a killer work, and um, and that's, that's why it's called by one of those names, and the other name is the real name. And as the Egyptians subjugated them, they became more numerous, and they spread out, partsu So playing on post-biblical grammar, they say it should have said they became numerous and they spread out as opposed to they will. Uh, again, in post-biblical grammar, it would be Ken Rabu. So he said, the 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 divine spirit is telling them, your bevechaini frots." In other words, not saying that's what happened, but that's what's going to happen. The more you work them hard, the more they're going to multiply. the Egyptians, vayakutsu, which means they were finished with them, but the shayu domain they were like thorns to the Egyptians. They worked b'nei Yisrael with backbreaking work. What does it's a plan of words, a soft words, meaning that they coaxed him into doing it by saying it's not so bad, not a big deal. The opposite, it was something that broke your back. And they made their life bitter with this hard work with the with the mat with the bricks and the mortar etc. First it was bricks and mortar. Then they gave them everything to do in the field. The end of the Why does it say all their work? They would give men women's work and women men's work. And that was uh, very difficult for them. I heard a story uh, about a uh, certain uh, Rebbe who was in the uh, who was uh, a, a prisoner during the Holocaust. and was in a labor camp, and when they took him out to work, they were working on sawing wood, and they gave him as a sawing partner. He was very tall, a very short man, so he'd have to stoop over as extra extra oppression. Lamanda Manami Hata Meferach and even uh Rabbi Elezer, who interprets beferach in the first instance that it shows up as being a soft tongue, Ha but by now it's certainly backbreaking work. Maybe the original enticement to work was soft, but then it was clearly backbreaking work, and of course the modern day parallels in the middle of the twentieth century are very well known. a very famous midrash. Uh, through the merit of the righteous women in that generation, that's how we were saved. They would go and get water, they would draw water. They would have them, would give them little fish in their jugs. They would draw half what they would have with water, half was fish. It's quite miraculous. They would come and put two pots on the fire, one of hot water and one of fish. They'd come out to their husbands who were working in the field, which of course flies in the face of the early Midrash, that the women were also working, doing men's work. They would come out to the field with the food, uh, they would bathe their husbands, Sachototan. they would anoint their husbands, put oils on them, machilototan, they'd give them food, mashkototan, then they would give them to drink, and they would have relations with them between the two pots. And this is the midrash, and amar im ben shvatayim. if you lie between the shvatayim, between the two pots. What's the rest of the pasuk? That's the merit by which they got the spoils of Egypt. The rest of the pasuk is that the wings of a dove are covered with silver and its, uh, its uh, limbs with, uh, with beautiful green, like a metallic green. What would happen? They would become pregnant, they would come home. They become pregnant from that uh, in the pots. For the hand when they would give birth. They go back to the field. They go underneath apple trees. The beautiful piece in Shira I have awakened you beneath the apple tree. Would send down evidently angels who would take care of the newborn baby and clean them off a uh, midwife, In the in the famous nevuah in talks about Am Yisrael as being a newborn baby, he says your cord wasn't cut and you weren't washed yet, etc. She would make two big wheels, one of oil and one of of uh, honey he fed him this is in the part of Hazina where he says how Amiswal became fat and then rebelled is he fed him honey from the rock and oil from the uh, from the by the Egyptians see that there 's these newborn babies who are there and eating they come to kill them and them when Bakar, a miracle would happen, and the ground would open up and they 'd be swallowed in. And the Egyptians would come and bring uh, oxen and plow over them to kill them. In Kuf they have brought um, plowers over me. And after they would leave, they would shoot up like... like um, like like uh, blades of grass. Again in the passage in the I've made you like a a shoot coming up from the ground. Once they would grow up, they would come in as flocks to their home. You grew up and you became um, of age. So don't read it that way. Read, rather read in flocks. This is all this beautiful Midrash, which I'm sure has much, much behind it. Uh, as to what it may mean, uh, and, uh, the particular pieces of the plowing and of the, the blades of grass, etc. cetera. Shinigla, <speaking in> Korish Hemi, Kirut, when a Korish Barho appeared to Abbey Israel at Yamsuf, they're the first ones to recognize him. Shinamar, Ze'eliv, Vehu, As if to say, yes, we've already seen this guy. Ze'eliv, Vehu, That's the one we know, and I will praise him. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Back in Perak of Shemot, the king then, with his evil, uh, decree to the, uh, midwives, Rabbi Shua, Chadamar Isha'u Vitav, Chadamar Kalav HaMotav. So, Machloket, who are these two midwives, Shifra and Pua? Are they a woman and her daughter, Yochebed and Miriam, or are they a woman and her daughter-in-law, Yochebed and Elisheva, the one who married Aharon? Manuar Isha'u Vitav, Chadamar Isha'u Vitav, Manuar Velisheva. Tanaka Mandamar Isha'u we have a tradition that supports Yochebed and Miriam, Titania Shifrazu Yochebed, Lamani Krashma Shifra, why she called Shifra, which again is an Egyptian name. Shemeshapertata Vlad, that she takes care and cleans off the newborn. That in her day, in her generation, Amisrael's Paru Veravu, they became very numerous. Pu'ah, who's Pu'ah? Zumiriam. Lamani Krashma Pu'ah, why is she called Pu'ah? Shaitapu'ah Umotziata she, she would make a, she'd make a certain kind of sound and, and, uh, and um, encourage and exhort the woman to give birth. That she saw that my mother eventually is going to give birth to a son who will be the Savior. That's a nevoah that we will see uh, later on in uh, the next podcast. Um, we'll see presented. So that's a tradition that supports the idea that Shifr and Puah really are Yochevan and Miriam, not Yochevan and Elishavon. <laughs> Parenthetically, I'm putting your attention to the Abravanel's approach in Shemot Aleph, who says that the Mialdot were Egyptian women. His arguments are quite uh, convincing, at least on a pshat level. <laughs> and he said, when you give birth to the Ivriot, see if it's a boy or it's a girl. My it said when they are on the ovnaim. My ovnaim, what are the ovnaim? Ruchanan Simanga Doma Saran, we translate it as birth stools. He said Paro gave them a sign. when she bends down to give birth, the thighs become cold as rock. So that's why it's called ovnaim that in the famous passage of Miyahu, when he goes down to the artisan's house and Hashem gives him a Nivah, he said he went down to the artisan's house and he saw that he was doing Malacha Alha of Naim, meaning he had his legs around the anvil that he was working on and the Potter's wheel. I'm uh, sorry, the Potter's wheel Mayotzer Zet, but in a regular artisan has one one leg on each side and the Anvil's in the middle. Same woman has a her leg here or her leg there, and in the middle is the child coming out. So he said, uh, Paro said, if it's a boy, then you should kill him. He gave them a sign, Ben Panavlamata, panal When born, a boy comes out with his face down and a girl comes out with her face up. Okay, yeah. So the, the, uh, midwives feared God, they had a, a sense of morality, and they didn't do what the king commanded. Why does it, it should be what the king said to them, not about them. So, it teaches that there was something else that happened. Paro also wanted to have relations with them, and they did not, uh, accept. They kept the boys alive. Not only did they not kill them, they would feed them. And Paro said, why did you do this? He said, ah, the Jewish women are not like the Egyptian women. Right? Now, the little translation is that uh, they themselves can act as their own midwives, and they're able to give birth before we get there. So, my chayot, ilam chayot mamash, atuchayam, ilot suichachayachrita the oluda. Even if they are midwives, they still need another midwife to help and give birth. What they're saying is that this nation is all compared to animals. Yehuda is gurayeh, dan, yidan achashalederach, taftali ayelash lucha, yisachachacham or garim, so, um, a lion and a snake and a gazelle and a donkey, yosef pechor shor, he's an ox, that's in devarim, Benjamin zevi traf back in bereishit, bektiv any of the tribes that has a particular animal associated with it says. And all the other ones, k'tiv ma'i mech Your mother is like a lioness. So in other words, all of Amisrael is compared to these animals. And just like an animal can give birth, it doesn't need anybody to help him, so Amisrael. Yisrael. again, that's not shot in Shemot, but that's a beautiful midrash. Vahiki aruha miyodotot batim. So it says that the, uh, midwives feared God, and they didn't do this, so the God made houses for them. What does that mean? So Rabbi, one of them says that it was houses of Kohen and Levi, because after all, Yochev would give birth to Moshe and Aharon, there you go. And the other says it means a house means a house of a, of a dynasty. And this is the end of this piece will be the springboard for the next podcast. David David was also a descendant of Miriam. So, um, uh, Kalev marries a woman named Ephrat, who gives birth to Hur, and the Midrash is that Ephrat is Miriam, and David is called Ish Ephrati. So the idea is he's a descendant of Ephrat. Of course, David went Ish Ephrati is because he's from the town of Ephrat, which is the town of Beit Lachem, but according to this Midrash, he's also a descendant of Miriam. We'll stop at this point and continue with the Midrashe Agada, um, in the next podcast that will take us through more of the beginning of Sefer Shmot. I really should have a wonderful day.